Aloha, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to our very first episode of Namati Stories Podcast. I am your host, Dallin Johnson, and I'm super excited to be with you today. So, Namati Stories Podcast, what is it? A few months ago, some of us started exploring ideas about how we could help make sure everyone at Namati feels connected, engaged, and excited about our mission and programs all over the world, and the idea for a podcast came along. The idea is for this podcast to complement team-wide calls and give you a chance on your own time to hear stories from fellow staff members about themselves, how they found their way to Namati, projects they're working on, what they like to do for fun, and so on and so forth. We'll also include announcements and celebrations at the beginning of each episode to keep you up to date on wins and projects our teams are working on. For the first little while, we'll produce about one episode a month and would love to hear feedback from you about how we can improve and make it better. If you have anything you'd like to include in the announcement section at the beginning, or if you want to give us any feedback, please feel free to email me. I'll post reminders on Discourse about a week before an episode is released, but please do feel free to email announcements and feedback to me at any time. Our only announcement today is that the 2018 annual report is out. Big thanks to Kinley and everyone else who put so much work into it. The annual report is definitely worth checking out if you haven't yet, and there are links to it on Discourse and Namati's website. And so that brings us to our guest today. Our very first guest on Namati Stories podcast is none other than Mustafa Mahmoud, our senior program and advocacy officer for our citizenship program in Kenya. Mustafa has a great story, and I had a lovely time listening to him and learning more about what he and the citizenship team are up to in Kenya, and I'm excited for you to hear from him as well. And with that, let's dive in. Um, and so maybe we can maybe we can start with that, just a little bit about your uh, life journey and how it eventually led you to Namati. Well, I think um, Namati poached me uh, from another organization. Um, I, I may, <laughs> sorry, that's uh, on a light note. Um, uh, the experience uh, began with a partner organization. I, I participated in the crafting of uh, the citizenship legal project with a partner organization called uh, Nuclearis Forum in, uh, uh, from 2012, when we were beginning the crafting of the project. That's the first point of interaction with Namachi. Then uh, in uh, around 2016, uh, the conversation of moving to Namachi began. And uh, before the end of 2016, I was offered a job with Namachi. And um, yeah, it's been uh, now almost three years. And so did you, so your, is, is uh, your role with uh, Namati similar to uh, what you were doing uh, before? Initially it was, uh, but basically when I was at the Nuclear Rights Forum, I was a program officer, hmm. actually a program manager. I began from program officer, I reached the program manager, but basically I was just managing one organization. Um, from paralegal supervision, donor reporting, finance. I was a jack of all trades. Um, so when I transitioned to NAMAT, 
uh, I basically moved from direct implementation to further program support. So basically from, um, from that level, I was able to support two organizations. Uh, at that time, I was helping uh, Nubia Rice Forum and Haki Center at the cost. Um, I've grown now, um, so I manage uh, two grants directly. I, I, use, I manage uh, Haki Nasheria in Garissa, and uh, now another one in Wajia, it's called Paranet, or Heralding uh, Development Organization. So basically, uh, in the course of this month, I'm transi transition from one organization to another. But uh, yeah, I've been growing uh, from one level to another. That's awesome. So for our uh, other teams that may not be as familiar with uh, our citizenship program, could you give us kind of a, a, an overview of um, what, the, what the justice issue is, is that you're working on uh, with citizenship issues and maybe a little bit how uh, a legal empowerment approach uh, helps, you, helps you to help other people uh, understand and use and shape the law? Okay, basically uh, the citizenship work in Kenya deals with communities uh, uh, that basically they, they were either at risk of uh, statelessness because of uh, systemic discrimination whereby uh, in Kenya uh, we work with uh, several communities. Um, the Nubian community that piloted the whole project that uh, they have an African, level, uh, African Union level decision that basically established that by the state uh, discriminating them and putting them through discriminatory processes of vetting, which is a process where you appear before a panel, a security panel to prove that you're a Kenyan. So basically these communities, by exposing them to differential treatment, not only put them at risk of uh, xenophobic attacks, uh, but also it puts them at risk of uh, being declared stateless because if you have been denied documentation, your child denied the documentation, there's high likelihood that that child means nationality. So basically we work uh, with uh, such communities like the Nubian community, even though it's not only the Nubian community that goes through the process, it is estimated that we have now approximately over 5 million uh, Muslims, and this uh, basically is a problem that affects majorly uh, the Muslim population in Kenya. So we have the Somali uh, community northeastern, we have the Swahili, the Pemba, uh, the Arabs at the coast, and we have some few Indians uh, uh, in Nairobi and other parts of the country. So basically it's a big coverage, but we cannot work with all these communities. So um, for the Somali communities in northeastern, we work with Haki Nasheria and uh, uh, the, at the end of last year, we recruited another organization called Paranet, or the Heralding um, Development Organization. And uh, for the coast where we are targeting Arabs, Swahilis, and uh, uh, other communities that are Muslim in the area, we are working with the Haki Center. So basically, we use a paralegal uh, approach where paralegals are trained on the law, they're trained on the procedures of applying for documentation. And then these paralegals go to these communities that basically some members of the communities had lost hope of the process. Uh, the paralegals empower them on the importance of documentation 
importance of applying in time, uh, importance of having all necessary documents, and also uh, empower them on their law, uh, their rights uh, enshrined in the law. So basically, the paralegals move it from um, the approach of people applying because it's a privilege to have a document to a rights-based approach where they are entitled to have documentation as naturals. So paralegals help them from that informed position to make informed decisions on how to go through the process, tell them how the process is supposed to go, how long it's supposed to take, what are the requirements, and at the same time track the application from the first visit to the application to the office to the day that the document has been issued. So out of this process, we track different things that we use for advocacy, uh, where basically if, uh, most of us have interacted with Salesforce, we use a case tracking form that basically uh, help us track questions like what documents was uh, requested, what questions were asked, fees paid, bribes paid, um, time from the first day of application to the last day of application, and we populate data uh, that we use for advocacy. So far, we've been able to use the data in several advocacy meetings. We were invited before the committee uh, of experts that had uh, made the decision on the Nubian children that basically launched the whole project. Uh, in 2014, we wrote a policy brief uh, using the case data that we collected. And in 2017, we were invited by the African Committee of Experts on the Rights and Welfare of the Child the same committee that had issued the decision to come and give a status report alongside the government. So basically, uh, our work has been recognized and uh, even at the African Union level to be able to be called as an expert uh, to come and give testimony. So that's basically uh, a background of what we do. That's that's amazing. It's um it's it's really inspiring work that you're that you're doing. One of, the, one of the things you said in your TEDx talk that I really liked was, uh, we don't want it to be just getting documents, we want equality and we want fairness. Um, because that's, that's a, uh, a kind of the root of, of, of the citizenship program is, is uh, just what having these, these documents kind of empowers and, and enables people to do, right? Yeah. So basically, uh, we don't want uh, to have a system where we're just helping people get documents, um, uh, helping them to get documents. But we want a system where at the end of a given period of time, let's say five to ten years from now, uh, when the project is phased out, uh, the, the community can survive without political assistance, whereby we collect a several number of cases as, for, uh, as samples, for advocacy and policy change. So basically, this number of uh, cases that you use will be used to help community-level advocacy, to help um, build a movement of citizens requesting fair treatment uh, uh, as affected communities, while at the same time painting a national picture that, okay, as much as you claim that we are one Kenyans, there are a particular group of Kenyans who uh, feel like they are less Kenyans compared to the others. So we create empathy within the nation uh, that we have a, a, group, a, a movement of people that now start advocating for change. Uh, so basically, we look at the approach of uh, basically the Namachi approach of no, no law, use law, and shape law. 
So paralegals have already empowered them to know the law. Uh, they've already empowered them to use the law to get documentation. And now the end result is to shape the law, change the law to help them uh, uh, establish a level of equality, uh, where if Anubian who's supposed to apply on a particular day, uh, either on Tuesday or Thursday, or a Somali who can apply once a year, uh, reach a level where they can enter an office and apply any given day and take the exact uh, same time as any other person to get the document, uh, submit the exact number of documents that any other mainstream Kenyan document uh, submits. That is the approach that we want to reach. That at the end of it all, is a systemic change that we achieve, whereby we remove um, marginalization and discrimination in terms of application of documentation. So it's just beyond uh, helping people get documents, but removing the hurdles that uh, made these people not to get documents in the first place. Mm, right, right. That's 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 amazing. Um, and I'm sure there's uh, challenges in your work in in uh, in in the citizenship program. Uh, what are what are some of the biggest challenges that you and the rest of the team and, and our partner programs uh, face in helping people get access to their citizenship documents? There are several challenges. Um, there's legislative challenges where there's a lot of loopholes and clear discrimination in the law, whereby in 2015, um, after the, uh, several uh, terrorist attacks, the government went and enshrined um, as uh, vetting, which is the discriminatory procedures, in the law, where they did a security amendment, uh, a miscellaneous amendment on securities uh, that basically uh, legalized vetting. Initially, when we began the project, uh, vetting was not in law. So we wanted to get as much data as possible to advocate uh, for uh, the abolition of the process as it's unconstitutional. But after the, the enactment of that Securities Amendment Act, um, we, we had to change our whole strategy and uh, start thinking of how best can we remove betting or nationalize betting. So um, because of unplanned events, sometimes we have to shift our advocacy goals. Secondly, uh, there's the issue of communities also looking at uh, the issue of betting as something that helps them, because they look at, um, if we don't go through this process, we'll never get a document. So getting people from that uh, mindset of uh, uh, favors to deserving, uh, is, is still a challenge because um, it's hard to achieve it uh, if people do not see it as a barrier. If you go and advocate that you don't want a particular process and the community that is uh, taken through a process does not see it as a challenge, it becomes hard because at the end of it all, mm. we don't look at ourselves as people who advocate for community. We work with the community. We want the community to say their own. Uh, their own problems. We want the community to own the process. We don't want to be the voice of the community. We want to mm. speak with the community, not for the community. Right. Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense, and that that kind of goes along with our uh, the idea that we're we're not we're not solving this problem for you. We're we're working with you to solve this problem together. Precisely. That's awesome. And I know um, uh, you and the and the citizenship team have have had a big challenge uh, recently with this uh, new digital ID program. Um, yeah. could, could you tell us a little bit more about that? <laughs> so um, uh, 
uh, uh, last year we involved, were involved in some bit of advocacy when we heard that the government was to roll out a new digital uh, uh, database for identity management. Uh, so we tried as much as possible to influence the policy change. Unfortunately, the time that reached that uh, our amendments were supposed to be tabled in Parliament, the member of Parliament that uh, was fronting our appeal was sent somewhere else on set duties. So basically, we missed that opportunity to influence that, uh, that state. So in November, the bill was passed uh, without necessary amendments, uh, whereby they, 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 they entered other provisions that could allow them to collect uh, uh, more biometric data, of which biometric data um, uh, included uh, DNA, included GPS, and land registration uh, numbers. So basically, it uh, moved from identity documentation to uh, national surveillance. At the same time, we realized that um, with these provisions, not all the people will be asked, but some particular people will be asked. Uh, given our practice on the ground where we've seen uh, people from marginalized communities like the Nubians and Somalis being requested for additional documentation, uh, being requested to go and do age assessment, which is a cost burden to them, uh, being requested to bring their parent, which is not a legal requirement, uh, which uh, being requested that their parents put their thumbprint on their forms, which is not a legal requirement and which is not a practice by all, uh, we felt uh, unsafe by the fact that the government was introducing a new requirement, which is uh, uh, DNA samples and GPS console, uh, 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 coordinates, whereby we realized that the nature of Somali community, some of them are pastoralists, Today they are here, the next day they are another place. Uh, by asking them for land registration number or GPS coordinates becomes another barrier. So basically, we, we've seen uh, that one as a challenge. But not only that, we also realized uh, and tried to rally a lot of people uh, on the national interest that if we roll out such a project uh, that is going to collect such vital uh, information, uh, and we don't have a data protection act in, uh, in place, given the fact that we know that the government has been commercializing the population register, uh, and now that they have more information, including uh, the register that uh, collects all the traffic offenses, all uh, the number of vehicles you have, all the number of land, uh, number uh, the nature of land holding, the size of the land that you have, all this information is very, very, very vital. But if it goes into the wrong hands, if someone alters with the register, it can mess up individuals. And unlike uh, other crimes, uh, data theft cannot even uh, be compensated by a financial compensation. Mm. So all these things are the things that we've been asking the state uh, before you roll out a new, uh, a new. Uh, uh, new identity management system. Did you uh, did you do public participation? Did you have enough uh, safeguards? And then the worst part is that the whole system was launched on a miscellaneous amendment act that basically amended a single uh, section within a law, a law that is uh, pre-independent, 1947. So we've been pushing the government to bring up a whole new registration of persons act that would be inclusive and not discriminatory. So by bringing a new poly, uh, a new system that is based on a discriminative uh, policy, 
we felt like it's not well anchored. Uh, there are no well uh, thought out procedures, like who's in charge of the register? How do you edit information? So the, it was not a well thought plan, and that's the reason as to why uh, we, uh, we encouraged our partners to take legal steps. And one of our partners is in court right now, and we are working the process together. So um, the, the litigation is different, unlike other organizations that basically just does public interest litigation. Our litigation is a public interest empowering litigation, where basically before the court process, people have a community forum. They're told about the last court, uh, court hearing, what was discussed, what are the possibilities of the next process, and then the community knows what is happening. We work with the community through the litigation mm. because uh, community members are present in court. After the court process, the lawyer approves them. When they reach home, uh, there's uh, another community forum that is prepared and people are disseminated the information so that they know what is happening because this petition is not for them, it is with them. So they are the owners of the petition. They need to know how the, the whole process is going. Unlike where you just go and litigate on their behalf and then you give them a victory or a loss. This one, they know each and every step. And the paralegals play a vital, uh, vital role by coordinating the whole uh, community, the community members who are going for the hearing, by coordinating the event of uh, community forums and also disseminating the information. So paralegals are the core of everything that we do, even if we go to court. That's, that's great. So have you, let's see, in your, in your three years uh, with Namati, um, do you have a, maybe a particular uh, successfully resolved case or a case that you're currently involved in that, um, uh, that, that maybe inspires you and that, I, that uh, kind of shows uh, the power of, of, of legal empowerment to, uh, to help people find access to justice? Yeah, uh, one powerful case is the case of a lady called Zena. Uh, she's a client that basically she was an orphan. Uh, she's an orphan current, uh, <laughs> yeah, so she's still an orphan. And uh, mm -hmm. when she was applying for documents, she didn't have supporting documents. She didn't know the process of going to school, uh, that uh, when she, she went to school, where she went to school, she, she did not get her school certificate because of uh, arrears. So with the help of a paralegal, she was helped to collect all the necessary documents. She was helped to go through the process, the first stage. Uh, before, the first stage she had gone alone. Uh, she was denied vetting. Uh, she failed the vetting several times. But because when she reached out to the paralegal, the paralegal encouraged her to try and try and try until the last moment when she was accepted uh, to submit her documentation. Uh, so after that, she, she decided and took up upon herself that she'd become an ambassador of the, the, the discrimination. So she's been coming to community forums to come and talk about her case. She has been coming to meetings where we have government officers to come and talk about her case. And, uh, uh, the level of her empowerment itself is touching. From the level where she was disempowered to the level where she could not uh, access services, she could not take her child to school, and now she has reached a level where she has documentation. She can go and get casual uh, works. She can register her SIM card. Her children can go to school, 
And at the same time, she's becoming more eloquent on the issue. She's now speaking against the discrimination. So to me, that is a level of empowerment that I, I feel proud of, where if a client mm. can come from the level of, she cannot speak for herself. And now she reaches a point where she becomes an ambassador. To me, that's growth. Hmm. That's, yeah, that's, uh, that's incredible. Um, very, very rewarding to get to, uh, to, to, to work with, with, with people like her and be able to, to see, um, how, how much legal empowerment can impact people's lives in a, in, in a positive way. And I think, so one of the, uh, great things with with Namati and the Global Legal Empowerment Network is we're all trying to learn from each other and learn um, how working with people in different programs in different countries can um, we can learn things from uh, our different our, our different programs and different members of the network and I'm and I'm wondering um, how uh, Maybe if there's anything specific you've learned from some of our other teams that you use in your particular program, or uh, and more maybe more than just our other teams, but just the broader uh, global legal empowerment network. Basically, it's been a learning curve for me. Um, I have learned a lot from the global legal empowerment network uh, because. The issues of sustainability, issues of paralegal supervision. By the way, before I joined Namati, um, I used to borrow a lot of content uh, from uh, Legal Empowerment Network. Uh, issues like um, uh, the first time when I was introducing uh, a client satisfaction form, I got it from uh, Global Legal Empowerment Network. Uh, discussion on how to best supervise paralegal discussion, there is plenty that I've learned from them. Uh, not to boast, but I uh, having been the let's see uh, the fourth uh, top uh, ranked uh, active members of this course in Namati. Uh, obviously, I've learned a lot. <laughs> so, uh, yes. so I, I I feel like um, whenever I'm lost and I need a lot of advice. I can always go to discuss and just post a topic, and uh, the joyous people around the world always come up with solutions out of Namati uh, and within Namati. So basically, I can say, always, um, it's like, how do you say, it's a well of knowledge mm. for me. Uh, whenever I need uh, to enrich my wisdom, I come back here and read more. So, yes, as I say, I am not bragging, but after Tobias, Michael, uh, Tobias, Michael, then Laura, and the fourth. Mm. So you see, yes. So. Ah, oh, that's that's wonderful. That puts that puts a big smile on my face. <laughs> um. So let's see. What kind of I I like this question. What kind of world do you want to see in the future, and how is legal empowerment and your work helping us get there? Well, uh, it could be utopian, but um, a world where <laughs> everyone belongs. A world mm. where everyone belongs. A world where people adjust. A world where people are treated for what they bring on the table and not what, uh, not what the, the color of their skin, the language that they speak, 
the area that they come from uh, determines what they get. Uh, I look forward to a world where I will be judged as Mustafa because of the value I add on the table, either physically uh, contributing to the growth uh, or psychologically giving support or um, intellectually giving support. So our world where everybody counts and everybody mm -hmm. is right is counted. And legal empowerment is the mother of all this. If we could uh, be able to empower a person to become a brother's keeper, because we never know where that, where that person will be uh, and what position that person will hold in the days to come. So to me, I look at it as the world that I want to do, live in. Mm, that is that is beautiful. I think that's a really really inspiring uh, vision to to have for the world, and 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 I'm and I'm glad that uh, that uh, you're working to help us get there, and that we're we're uh, all as 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 uh, a part of Namati helping us uh, work work to get there. Um, and so maybe we can just wrap up today with uh, just a couple just for fun questions. Um, when you're not helping people resolve injustices, what are what do you like to do for fun? Um, what are what are some of your hobbies uh, outside of work? Well, uh, I'm into motorbikes. Ooh. I'm into very powerful motorbikes, and uh, I like going off road. I like adventures, long long distance adventures. So uh, in my fun time, I love going for adventurous rides. Uh, at the moment, I sold my bike, so I'm looking for a lighter bike that I can <laughs> go and do extreme off-road. Uh, so that's what I love doing. Apart from that, uh, my passionate moments, the time that I am the happiest, is when I'm at home playing with my daughter. So uh, even the motorbike comes second or third <laughs> for my daughter, yes. Oh, that's beautiful. How, how old is your daughter? She's... Uh, 20 months. 20 months. Wow, that's that's super exciting. Yeah. Uh, that's beautiful. Well, awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mustafa. It's been it's been um, pleasure talking to you today and getting to hear about uh, your your story and your your work with Namati. Thank you for having me as the first person. I'm looking forward to listening to it. Hope you do love some music. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Indira, <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll definitely add some music. Do you have a? Ooh, maybe. Do you have a? Do you have a favorite song that we could add to the? Maybe to the beginning or to the end of it? Yes, I have one. Uh, it's um. There's a song about justice. Huh? Ooh, uh, that's also, awesome. Yeah. So it's talking about the hand that wears the bracelet or the gold flag is the same hand that is used to steal. So it's a nice song. Uh, mm. It's my favorite song. It's, um, it's an interesting one. You'll enjoy it. Baru jana mugina Kenyata Wanauliza kama Kenya kugosawa Nikawajibu Kenya tukona disaster Watoto wetu wanazidi kuzikana Na tomboya ameshika tama Halituwacha kama angaliki jana Je angekuwa mambo yangekuwa sawa Divyo alivyo panga maulana Deni mulizo wacha bado tunalipa Na tumekopa zingine china Tukajenga reli pia barabara
zilizobaki watu wakasanya so tujiangalie tujiangalie tuko pabaya leo kuliko jana sikio la kufa halisikidawa tuko kwa twitter tunajibizana tujiangalie bande tujiangalie tuko pabaya leo kuliko jana tusiposiba ufa tutajenga kuta tusake zetu tungali vijana Waumini kwa matrina pasi kwa bima Kishoto fungu la kumi sadaka kulia Ndiyo maana mbele ya kanisa mweshimiwa Anakula sakramenti kabla ya raia oh, Siku za mwisho zimesha wadia Na revelation inatuambia I generation inachoma picha Ni generation yetu so tujiangalie Tuko papaya leo kuliko jana Yola kufa halisikitawa Tuko kwa Twitter tunajibizana Tujiangalije Tuko pabaya leo kuliko jana Tusipo ziba ufa tutajenga kuta Tusakeze tutungali vijana Nisema tufunge ni mikanda Ona leo tuwavuna tulichopanda Kura zetu zili tugawanya Makabila na pesa pia tulimanga So when you make your bedo Usingizi gani tumelala Tutajua tujui Vision 2030 tamba kini story Tujiangalie Tuko papaya leo kuliko tana Freedom never comes for free. We vote tribe, I'm a real cash. Ask Bonnie. Tunaroma liamwezi ta JSU plus doggy. Walmzima Twitter keotindo fast body. Ban pictures in Africa, black coffee and none. I'm richer than my neighbor, but we're both in a slum. If the rich always win, why should the popular run? Unless democracy ni what you say, my only good fan. Na hii weekend tuko charge, tunoza sura kabisa Post ya haga wenda kwa sana na caption ya scripture Kayo do gospel pitisha bagi ya sadaka kwa club, yeah Traffic madragu baindai, traffic mandai zina drag But my amwizi ya memeki stories a shamba wame grab Kono inahonga ime vibe, bracelet ya colors a flag, yeah